Talk UK Sports with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is the Leach Report Radio Network. Join in the discussion by tweeting your questions to at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. And you can call 877-904-1080. Now, along with an outstanding lineup of guests and broadcast to the most passionate fan base in America, the Big Blue Nation, here's the voice of the Wildcats. Tom Leach. Hello, everybody. Welcome in. It's our Friday edition of the Leach Report. A little rainy today. Going to be uh, a hot weekend, more summer-like than uh, we had last weekend. But hopefully you're having a good day. And we will uh, give you a little interesting conversation to get you through the next hour. Brett Dawson from The Athletic will join us. Uh, He's one of our NBA guys. So the NBA is... Returning, effective at the end of July, and we'll uh, hear from Brett about that. And it'll be nice to start see sport to see some sports coming back. The PGA Tour will rev back up next week. Uh, of course, thoroughbred racing has been going on uh, all along at uh, different venues around the country, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, the racing game and just all kinds of sports with Tom Hammond in the second half of the show. Um, Tom, and this day, actually tomorrow is the fifth anniversary of the win by American Pharaoh of the Triple Crown, uh, ending a long, long drought, and Tom was on the call for NBC that day. So we'll reminisce a little bit about that, his days covering the SEC and the Cats. So we'll have some fun with uh, with Tom Hammond. That's our guest lineup for today. Let's get right to the Wildcat news of the day. That's Service of Cardinal Point Financial Group a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services. Uh, there are uh, some reports. I think uh, Matt Jones at KSR, uh, first one I saw, that uh, perhaps Coach Stoops and uh, members of his football team will be uh, leading a protest, in, a peaceful protest in downtown Lexington uh, today. And I think that would be a great move. Um, Courtney Love, who's uh, involved with player uh, development, uh, things off the field, uh, and does a, an amazing job. Uh, just a, a tremendous young man, and uh, he is uh, part of uh, organizing this as well. So I'm um, sure we'll get uh, details if this is coming about before uh, too much longer, but I think that would be uh, a, a great move. I uh, want to talk about Alabama. Uh, five Alabama players reportedly have tested positive for COVID-19. These were guys that uh, were already uh, back on campus for ahead of the, the resumption of, of workouts. And it's a story that came out at Marshall, I think, a couple of their players tested positive. It certainly seems uh, logical that they are going to be these positive tests. So um, now they put their plan into place for dealing with them. And uh, I think once they uh, have the players all uh, within, so to speak, a bubble, hopefully they will be able to uh, manage it even better um, and keep any more positive tests from coming up. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But that was the news out of Alabama. Uh, There's a professional association for ADs that finds 85% of college athletic directors in a recent poll has little or no confidence in the enforcement of name, image, and likeness rules coming down from the NCAA. Three-quarters support, three-quarters of them support a third party to oversee this. So still a lot to work through on uh, that particular issue. 
Two writers for 24-7 Sports uh, did a podcast discussing which teams could come out of the pandemic in uh, good shape and some who may struggle. And on the good side, Kentucky. And uh, Florida was also on that list. Uh, on the uh, struggling, potentially struggling side, LSU and Mississippi State. And they base it on things like continuity and roster and in staff and in scheme. And I've always thought, and we've uh, had talked about this with guests on the show, that Kentucky should be uh, well positioned to to weather that particular part of the storm about as well as anybody because they have so many returning players. Um, continuity and the staff is certainly there, very little uh, shakeup. And you also have um, a scheme in place that's been there for several years so i think and certainly mark stoop seems to be building a culture where uh, i'll be surprised if you know coaches are going to going to be either uh pleasantly surprised or or disappointed when their players actually do come back and they see which ones have uh, really walked the walk in terms of uh staying in shape doing the things they needed to need to do and during this pandemic and the, the lockdown phase and i'm thinking that uh, Mark Stoops will be one of the guys that will like what he sees from his guys because of the culture that he has built with his Kentucky program. Uh, Rex Chapman did an interview on the Dan Patrick Show, and if you haven't seen it, uh, it's certainly worth your time. uh, You can see how uh, difficult uh, a time Rex uh, is having, as uh, a lot of people are dealing with what is going on in our world right now. Uh, Really... Uh, powerful interview, so I urge you to check that out. There's also former Kentucky assistant, now Florida State head coach uh, Leonard Hamilton, has written a piece for ESPN.com uh, that I uh, just saw out this morning in which uh, he talks about um, the events of the day, so to speak, and uh, ends with ends on an optimistic note that he thinks uh, that uh, the country can uh, get to where it needs to be. Links to the stories that we talk about each day can be found on the Bud Light Leach Report page at TomLeachKY.com. Going to head to a break and come back and hear from Brett Dawson. It's the Leach Report Radio Network. Find out more about the voice of the cats and get great coverage of the Big Blue at TomLeachKY.com. Welcome back into our Friday edition of the show, and we go to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline and bring on Brett Dawson from The Athletic, who joins us to talk about the resumption of the NBA. It's been approved now by the Board of Governors of the league, and uh, 22 teams all playing in Orlando. Is this kind of what you expected? Yeah, roughly. And, of course, we still have to get through the hurdle of the players ratifying this, but I would expect that's a formality at this point. Um you know, I think there were a lot of discussions about what the best format was. Um, I know that only only one team, and that was Portland, uh, voted against this. So I think the teams that aren't going, for the most part, are comfortable with the fact that they're not going, that their season is over a little early. And I think for the NBA, this is a pretty good compromise. You're going to get to add some regular season play. That matters in terms of uh, some local TV revenue for some of these teams that are participating. It also matters to the contenders. I know just from covering the Lakers, um, you know, that, that's a team, and I think this is pretty universal. Everybody wanted to do something before the playoffs. Nobody wanted to go from training camp into playoff games. You just want to ease your way in a little bit. So playing some regular season games gives everybody a chance to do that. I think this is probably the best of all worlds, assuming that the NBA presents to us publicly, and, and they will have to at some point a safety protocol that makes sense. 
from a, a sports fan standpoint, uh, the one of the stories I saw talked about you know at times five and six games a day, right? Yeah, I mean, I think games will be running uh, most of the day. So I think you know, for people who missed out on their NCAA tournament fix, uh, you'll get some daytime basketball. It'll be a little later than you're used to, but. You know, it's going to be summertime, and around the time, a little bit later than the time you'd normally get summer league, you can watch real teams uh, play real games and real meaningful games uh, at some point because uh, there are going to be some games that have a lot to do with who gets into the playoffs and where teams are seated. So, yeah, that, you know, this is an imperfect situation, um, but there's some positives from it. I think these will be highly rated games. I think people will want to watch, especially early, just the curiosity. You know, I've been to a lot of uh, uh, 9 a.m. AAU games. And this is going to have some of that vibe, except it's going to be the best players in the world playing for high stakes. And like some of those 9 a.m. AAU games, they're not going to be anybody watching. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's going to be a lot like that. I mean, there's going to probably be uh, some media people spread out throughout the crowd, you know, kind of spread around, uh, sitting uh, kind of. That's my guess anyway, is that, that, that those of us, uh, if, and I'm not sure if I'm going, but those of us who are covering it, uh, I assume there will be some people kind of spread around in the stands there. Maybe there will be some – I don't know if there will be, like, some friends and family, but there's essentially going to be no crowd um, at games that are going to be at this uh, weird little neutral site, and they, weren't, they won't be in a huge arena. Uh, and so it's going to be very different. It's going to be something none of us has ever seen. There is no precedent for these playoffs. But I, I think that will kind of spark the curiosity factor. And also, you know, this will be one of the first things back. I don't really know where baseball and hockey stand. I don't track that well enough. But – this is going to be one of the first meaningful sporting events we see in the United States since all this happened. So I do think the curiosity level is going to be really high. And the players are all going to stay there uh, on the Disney campus, right? Yeah, that'll be the plan. And, and there will be some, you know, we, we don't know yet. The one thing, you know, again, I think the safety protocol will come in time. It'll have to. The NBA will have to be transparent about its safety protocol. But uh, they, they've been communicating with the players. We talked to Jared Dudley from the Lakers a couple of weeks ago. And he, he presented a picture um, from the people he had talked to of not a complete lockdown, that it would be kind of a campus, a Disney campus almost, and you know maybe there would be a golf course open where some of the players could play uh, if they were staying socially distanced. Maybe there would be some restaurants open specifically for uh, the NBA parties to be able to go out and have a meal and not just be in their hotel room. So uh, I think that's probably along the lines of what we'll see. You know, Jerry Dudley is not the commissioner, so we can't take his word uh, – uh, as as the last word on this, but I, I think we'll see something like that where they're allowed to kind of get out and maneuver a little. What about, you mentioned there'll be some media there, there's going to be TV coverage. I assume they're going to be TV, like an announcing team on site, but I guess they could do that from uh, from a studio. Do you know what that plan is? Yeah, I don't yet. We, we've we've heard a little bit about some, some uh, for our own planning purposes, some, some media possibilities, but none of that stuff is set in stone yet, and so we're kind of sworn to secrecy on it. But, you know, I, I don't know if they'll do, they could, uh, certainly have two announcers sitting, uh, I guess, next to each other, but maybe, you know, six feet apart from each other. Uh, they could certainly have them in a studio somewhere. I suspect that press conferences, um, post-game, and, and who knows if they'll even do the kind of traditional pre-game media, but I suspect all of that stuff will be, you know, player X will be in a room and reporters will be, some of them obviously won't be on site. There'll be reporters covering from, from everywhere. Uh, and the people who are on site, I would imagine, will be in some other room or possibly back in hotel rooms, who knows. But I would imagine that those will be done over some kind of Zoom or closed-circuit kind of situation. Do you know if officials, um, media people, uh, other people that, that make a game happen, will they have to stay on campus too? That's a good question. Uh, you know, I think there may be some tiering of that, though. Maybe there will be some media who's inside, maybe. Not sure. 
maybe there, maybe the officials would be, and some NBA personnel would be, and then maybe some NBA personnel wouldn't. I think all of that stuff is that's very important to answer. It's the next really important stuff the NBA's got to get into. And I know that they are communicating this to the players, and they'll have to be because the players are not going to ratify a system that they don't believe is keeping them safe. Players have talked about this regularly, that there were two really important safety factors for them. One, obviously, is safety from the virus, safety from contracting COVID-19. The other is the safety of getting a chance to do the training camp like they're doing, uh, get some games in before the playoffs, anything they can do to kind of minimize the risk of injury, get guys as close to healthy and in basketball shape as they can before they play. So, you know, we're seeing, uh, based on the, the plan, the, the timetable, the calendar that the NBA has laid out, they're dealing with that latter concern. They will have to present something that shows us they're dealing with the former. And, look, it, it probably will be imperfect. There's probably going to be a situation where if somebody gets, you know, contracts it, then they're just going to be out for 14 days, and, and that could really change the playoff picture. Um, but we'll see what the NBA says when they, you know, when they have something to tell us. Talk with Brett Dawson. Brett, one of the stories I saw suggested that the next season might start as early as the 1st of December. So that's a pretty quick turnaround. I won't ask you about that because I know that's got to be negotiated between the owners and the players. But do you think we could be looking at a later start to the NBA season indefinitely? I think it's a possibility. Um, you know, they could still play the same length of season. There, there's a lot of momentum for the idea that what you would be doing then is you'd be competing with baseball, where you probably have, you know, your playoffs would be pushed a little further into the summer, where you probably have a little less fan crossover than you have in the NFL. So you could kind of, you know, at the start of the NFL season, at the start of the college football season, uh, you'd be kind of out of the way, and then you'd be coming back and really starting to play just before your real showcase day of the regular season is, is Christmas. So you get a couple of weeks of games in, maybe almost a month of games in before that, then your showcase game. And then you're pushing the playoffs back. So you're playing the finals in July or August as opposed to June. And so, you know, you're kind of competing with baseball's regular season. Maybe a little bit more comfortable thing to compete with from a TV ratings and just attention-grabbing standpoint. Now there's some downside to that. I think people in the league – uh, you know, it, it's just like anything else. If you have, you, you know, Tom, you deal with college football and college basketball, your uh, your vacation is aligned with like a family's vacation, like a summer when kids are out of school. Those are all things you have to consider. The NBA has liked being that way, and if they're not that way anymore, that'll be a concern for some people. So all that stuff has to be ironed out. Um, but this is, you know, the, the one – there aren't many positives in this, and there aren't many positives going on right now in general. But the idea that they can kind of maybe look at this and see what they think of it, uh, you know, they, they have a long time before they have to decide about, uh, about 2021-22, and this gives them a chance to have a trial run with it. Lastly, in this time where you haven't had games to cover, you've found yourself having to write about a lot of other different things. Anything that really stood out as a, as a favorite story that you did or a topic you addressed? Well, I've had a lot of fun with something that isn't out yet, but we are doing a, uh, we're doing a, a week about mascots, and I have a story there that I don't want to give away, but it's a very fun story. Um, it's been kind of fun for me. You know, I've gotten back a little bit to covering, writing some Kentucky stuff, a lot of stuff with Kentucky ties. I wrote a story about Frank Vogel's relationship with Rick Pitino and, and some of the things that he learned at Kentucky that still apply now and, and, and some things that he feels like he learned from Rick Pitino that expressly have helped him in coaching LeBron James, which I thought was really um, interesting. And, and I thought Frank and Rick, who I talked to, had some good insight on that. And then I did a story about a local kid here, Devin Askew, um, you know, an Orange County kid who's going to be the point guard there and got to talk to him. And uh, that yielded another story where a lot of Kentucky guys that Kyle Tucker wrote, so a lot of the Kentucky guys 
uh, out here working out with him and working out with Darren Collison, the former UCLA point guard and NBA point guard. So that, that's been fun for me to kind of get back to a little bit uh, of an old audience and, and reconnect with some people uh, who used to read my work, reading it in a new place and about a little bit different subject. Just real quick, what was it that uh, Frank Vogel learned from Rick that helped him coach LeBron? For folks that didn't read your story. I think, yeah, so I, the, for him it really was. They both talked about the fact that because Putino is, is and you, you may be aware, uh, he's an obsessive detail guy. You know, oh, yeah. He's... he's uh, <laughs> And Frank was his video coordinator first at Kentucky as a graduate assistant after he was a manager, and then in Boston. And Frank was a guy who, because Rick demanded it, when you were scouting video, you knew everything forwards and backwards. And so if you were in Boston and they were getting ready to play the Knicks, he would say, we're going to run this this way. How are they going to handle that? Would it work? What could we do differently? And Frank would have to have those answers. And if he didn't have those answers, he'd say, I'll get them in an hour. And Rick would say, you're supposed to have them now. That's your job. And so I think uh, the, the way Frank Vogel put it is when, when you coach LeBron, nobody in the league has a higher BS meter. He didn't say BS. Um, uh, you know, it, it's better at knowing whether you know your stuff. And I, I think the fact that he always feels like he knows it, that he always feels like he's overprepared, he attributes a lot of that to Rick Pitino. And Pitino said the same thing, that LeBron will see through you if you don't know it. And, and he knew when they hired Frank uh, that Frank would always know it. That's interesting. Thank you, Brett, for uh, the time, and uh, we'll look for the uh, the mascot article coming soon, I guess. Yeah, uh, it's, it's really fun. If, uh, if you're an NBA fan, I think I hope people will find it very entertaining. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Tom. It's Brett Dawson from TheAthletic.com, and this is the Leach Report Radio Network. We'll be right back. It's the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. Tweet us at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. Welcome back into our show for this Friday. We go to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. Bring on Tom Hammond. Hammer, how goes it? I'm doing well. I'm like everybody else. Uh, <laughs> Tom spent a lot of time at home, and uh, seems like there's nothing else to do but eat. So that's not a, not a good thing either. But uh, it's uh, it's been a strange time. It's been uh, a year that we will always remember, and for a lot of a lot of bad reasons. Yeah, that's uh, that is true. Uh, I was talking with uh, Mike Pratt yesterday because he was, you know, on, uh, in school at uh, at UK um, when the probably the the last most tumultuous year for our country, just in terms of just impactful events in one year, was 1968. Uh, had you finished up at UK by then? I had just been out one year and was uh, kind of looking for a job and had. Uh, began to work in the, in radio, doing uh, race results on the radio. It's my ah. first job with a uh, whopping $35 a week salary. <laughs> a whole week. <laughs> uh, so. uh, well, it's uh, racing is the one thing I've, I've told uh, family and friends. I uh, kind of Every Saturday I watch some thoroughbred racing, and it's gotten better <laughs> lately with Churchill starting. said it's the one sporting event I have that I can watch where I don't know who's already won. Everything else I'm watching uh. is old games. I know, and it, it was kind of a unique opportunity for racing because it was the only game in town, and some of the uh, mutual handle reflected that for places like Will Rogers Downs and Fonner Park that on uh, some days were the only action there was in the whole country. And uh, so they had gigantic increases in mutual handle, and but it was a chance for racing to uh, show what a competitive and uh, colorful and beautiful sport it can be. Uh, when no, nothing else was happening. So uh, hopefully that will carry over. We'll see if it does or not, because 
as we both know, racing has had a myriad of problems in recent uh, months and years. So uh, perhaps this will be something that will be a positive for them. Tomorrow uh, will be the uh, fifth anniversary of uh, American Pharaoh's win in the Belmont Stakes that gave us our first thoroughbred racing triple crown winner since affirmed in 1978. And uh, you were on the call for uh, NBC. And um, I, uh, I remember just, you know, watching the coverage. I felt pretty sure Farrow was going to win. I'm I'm guessing, uh, in fact, I think you told me you and uh, you were uh, so confident that uh, you and Larry Colmas talked about how to, how to handle some things once the race uh, played out, if it played out the way you expected, right? Right. So we didn't, uh, didn't you know, say the same thing when he, when he would win the race. But I also should point out, Tom, that I thought uh, – on, in the broadcast before, I thought Funny Side would win. I thought Sparky Jones would win. <laughs> and, you know, so so it wasn't exactly a sure thing. But we wanted to be prepared in case uh, he did win that um, we wouldn't uh, come up with the same lines to use. And you know, I, I thought Larry should have the the defining uh, comments and uh, should be the ones that would live in history because that's what the the race call would be the the thing that everyone would see fifty years from now. So uh, we did determine that uh, together. That uh, you know what he should say. The thirty-seven year wait is over. You know, American Pharaoh has won the Triple Crown. And so. sometimes a broadcaster, the the best thing you do is not say anything. I know there was a long stretch as Pharaoh was coming back and just tremendous ovation, and uh, you just let the uh, the crowd take it for a little while. Yeah, I'd already warned the producer and uh, and all the commentators that uh, I wasn't going to say anything now for a long, long time. So don't feel like you have to jump in there. And uh, I'm kind of famous anyway, Tom, for the hand, because uh, at certain events, a football game, basketball game, Olympics, whatever, uh, I hold the hand up to my other commentators and say, don't say anything, don't say anything right now, let's let it play. And uh, after American Pharaoh won, if you remember, the, the fans were going crazy. They were standing on tables and chairs. They were throwing uh, drinks in the air. They had their phones out videotaping the moment and um, and, and you know, Drew Essikoff, who directs Sunday Night Football, is our also horse racing director, and uh, he's maybe the best in the business. So there's nothing I can say that would uh, add to that picture. I could only detract from it because it told the story. So I just uh, kept just kept quiet for a long, long time. And, and if you remember, then uh, Victor Espinosa did a brilliant thing. Instead of just taking him right back into the winner's circle, he took him all the length of that long Belmont Park grandstand mm-hmm. to let everybody have a good look at him before he took him back to the winner's circle. So it was quite a moment, and and, uh, and that's kind of a philosophy I've had my, my whole career, Tom, is that sometimes the best thing you can say is say nothing. And uh, in lots of big plays and other sports, I've employed that same philosophy that uh, no sense me talking over this. One of the many old games I, I watched during this lockdown time was um, I think it was the first game of the 88 World Series where Kirk Gibson comes out of the, the clubhouse, really, and, and stumble, uh, stumbles, right. it drags a leg out to, to, to come <laughs> up and, and hit and hits the home run to, to beat Eckersley in the A's. And um, uh, it's, uh, Vince Scully was doing the TV for NBC at the time. And I think pretty much it, it was a great line. Uh, and then he just let it go. I think, but almost the whole home run trot, all you hear is the crowd. Right, right. I don't believe what I've just seen. Uh, was that 
Was that the caller that had uh, a different one? But uh, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't remember exactly. I just remember it was very appropriate what he said. But yeah. then he just let it go. And at, at one point, it's it, it goes for so long. You're like, is he still there? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think uh, broadcasters sometimes think they have to face practicing from the moment. Um, and you know, times have changed, Tom. Now with 200 different channels, maybe you feel like you have to. Uh, distinguish yourself by saying something brilliant usually it doesn't turn out that way and uh, you True. end up really detracting from a special moment that uh, could have played by itself i know you have told me before uh, the late dick enberg uh, was a, a great influence on you uh, i guess tell me a little bit about how he influenced you as a broadcaster and then other influences in your career and style uh you know yeah well to start with uh, Claude Sullivan and Kaywood Ledford, listening to them growing up, had to be an influence. That had to be somewhere in the in the back of my brain, you know, as to this is the way you you, you call the game. And I, you know, got to know Kaywood and work with Kaywood, so that was a, a special thing. And I always thought uh, he had something that you don't usually associate with broadcasters, and that's dignity. You know, he was never. Uh, uh, I mean, he knew who his audience was. He knew that he was talking to Kentucky fans, but he wasn't a, a homer. I can remember him saying, you know, the Cats just don't have it tonight, uh, things like that. So, um, you know, I just always thought he was a dignity, and he had such an excitement and anticipation in his voice. And uh, I know that you have studied him and studied under him, and mm-hmm. we both were influenced by him. But uh, when I got into television, Dick Enberg did kind of take me uh, under his wing. You know, when I worked at Channel 18, uh, NBC would come in, it was the NBC affiliate, and NBC would come in to televise basketball games with, uh, you know, the famous trio with Al McGuire and uh, Billy Packer and Dick Enberg, and they would do a game at the at the old Coliseum, Memorial Coliseum, and I would um, come down and help them since I was working for the NBC station and tell them and tell the producer what I knew that might help and so on. So we kind of got to be friends, and uh, one of those and he said that, is there any way that you can take me to see Secretariat? And so I said, I sure can. He said, I have some time after the game that before I fly out, and I'd like to go see him. So I set it up with Seth Hancock at Claiborne Farm, and we went out to see uh, Secretariat, and it was one of those Secretariat moments being the star of the show. He knew he was the star of the show, and he uh, he, he was talking. We were talking with Seth and Dick Enberg, and uh, Seth said, you know, sometimes you can just tell by – uh, a great horse just by looking in their eyes. And at, at that time, Secretary had snapped his head around and looked Dick right in the eye. So <laughs> it was right on cue. And it was something he uh, he never forgot. So that was, and we became close after that. And he helped get me on the first uh, Breeders' Cup broadcast in 1984, which is my first NBC gig. And they signed me after that. And I, I always admired the way he was able to write. And he was just so literate uh, and so classy in his broadcasts. I probably learned that uh, layout from him, I would say. And uh, I just, uh, you know, just tried to soak it all in. And it wasn't like he told me things as much as I just uh, observed and took them in and would answer any questions I had, of course. But uh, I can remember at the, um, if you remember the 1985, maybe, uh, Arlington Million, the grandstand had burned and they decided oh, yes. to the race anyway with tents and stuff and so we were televising it and i can remember we were in the back of a car riding to do um, some voiceover recording for the show to coming up the next day and um it was the show was going to open with 
a scene of the fire at Arlington Park and then the grandstand just collapsing in a dramatic shot there at the end of it. And I can remember he wrote on the back of an envelope or something while we were in the car. Someone was driving us in the car, and he, and he wrote, uh, and the grand lady takes a final bow. Uh, that was the way that the, he, you know, he narrated that picture of the grandstand collapsing. I said to myself, "Ooh, big fella, you're going to have to step up your game a little bit if you're going to compete here in the big leagues." <laughs> <laughs> well, that could be a good thing, raising the bar. <laughs> uh, Tom Hammond's with us at the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. We'll take a quick break. We want to come back and talk a little bit about uh, the SEC days with uh, Raycom, Jefferson Pilot, etc. We come right back. It's the Leach Report Radio Network. This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can follow Tom on Twitter. It's at TomLeachKY. Back to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. We're visiting with Tom Hammond, and Tom, our producer, Shannon, wants to lead an effort to get you and Larry Conley back to call at least one game a season. Are you game? <laughs> oh, sure, absolutely. I'm in. Uh, that was uh, that was so much fun. And, you know, the backstory is that uh, Larry and I have known each other since we were 16 years old. Um, and we we played in a game against Lafayette, and uh, I fond of reminding him that that uh, Ashland team that won the state championship and lost only one game all season, one of the great teams in Kentucky high school history. The only game they lost was to Lafayette, so I'm fond of reminding him of that, much to his chagrin. <laughs> but um, and, and then we went to Boys State together and, and uh, were together there, so uh, our, our association goes back a long way still since we were both 16. So, uh, and I don't think in all that time, Tom, that we've ever had a crossword and uh, we had so much fun doing those SEC games, driving all around the South, eating a lot of barbecue joints, and just laughing our heads off. Uh, it was so much fun; they probably had to put a stop to it because we were having enjoying it too much. But no, it was a it was a great time. And uh, thirty years I did SEC games, first starting with uh, Joe Dean doing the color, and then with Larry you know, for about uh, twenty or twenty two of those thirty years. But uh, it, it was uh, something I look back on with great, great. Uh, fondness and sure i'll be i'll be game of the game sometime or other larry was uh sounds like i'm sure easy to to develop a or to have a rapport with because you you had it before you became a broadcast team um but uh, is there anybody that was uh the the most uh challenging or any any fun stories as far as how to you know uh, make a connection with a with a partner that uh that you can recall for some reason, you know, I always was able to get along, and I had so many in all the different sports, Tom, that uh, I can't recall any, you know, great. Uh, sometimes I had to uh, adapt, and, uh, and and I can remember Ken Shanzer at, at NBC saying, we think you make your partner better, so that was a great compliment that I embraced. Um, you know, but uh, like starting the, the games, uh, SEC games, and the SEC basketball was the first really network thing I did, and uh, I can remember uh, – some of the times I would cringe when Joe, some of Joe Dean's <laughs> statements and comments, but I just learned to live with him and learned that that was kind of a, he was bigger than life and that's what everybody remembered. String music was what they remembered for him. So that was his tagline and he was just different. He was a character. And so you had to embrace the fact that he was different and a character and go with it. And when I did NBA games with uh, Bill Walton and Steve Snapper Jones, 
it was like we started laughing uh, when we went to practice the day before, all through the production meeting, all the way to the game, and all the way to the airport afterwards, and during the game, too. And um, it took me a while to understand that uh, with Bill Walton, the outlandish, and he's even more more off the deep end nowadays, if you've seen. Yeah. But, um, but you know, I just uh, had to say to myself, look, you, you can't play this straight. You have to participate in this, um, you know, crazy, wacky world that, that Bill lives in and that Snapper was fond of, of uh, puncturing every now and then. So I had to participate with the, with the stuff, and I think that's what made it work. But it took me a while to, to figure that out. So, you know, each each situation is different, and each sport is different. So um, it's, it's something you learn with a lot of experience, I guess. Uh, what a, Bring it back to a, a local level. Um, you obviously live here in, in Lexington, so you follow um, what's going on with the, the Wildcats. Uh, give me your take on what uh, Mark Stoops has done with the Kentucky football program, given that you know you you covered a lot of coaches, uh, you know, from back in the the '60s when you started in, in local media that you know tried to come in with a plan to make it happen. Stoops seems to have made more progress than most. Indeed, he has, and uh, I, I admire him very much. And I think he's got it going in the right direction. And I hope that they're able to play this fall. Um, uh, yeah, I've been very, very impressed with what he's done. And you know, there have been times of, of high expectations in the past, and they've always kind of dashed. Uh, they've always kind of fallen on hard times. And boy, there's been a lot, a lot of sad moments in Kentucky football. And uh, you know, for a time there, when uh, they hired. Uh, Blanton Collier, they had a jewel there and, and let him go because they always compared him to Bear Bryant, his predecessor. So that was not good. I was in school the Charlie Bradshaw days, and that was uh, grim, very grim. Uh, I can remember when they had the thin 30, 70 players uh, left the team, quit the team, because they were just brutal. Practices were brutal, and uh, it was just uh, survival of the fittest for sure, as Charlie Bradshaw tried to be Bear Bryant, and he wasn't. Um and then, uh, you know, I can remember I was working at Channel 18 when they hired John Ray. And here they hired the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame who's come up with, you know, all these innovative things. And, uh, and this is going to be a great time. And Channel 18 had the rights to do the coaches shows then. And so I was, it fell on me to do the John Ray show each week. And boy, oh boy, I can remember a lot of Sunday mornings when he would come <laughs> in to do the show and he would just be so down. And uh, how do you get a, TV show out of this, you know. So it was, there have been a lot of down moments and uh, some 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 bright times during Fran Kersey and I became close to Fran and liked him a lot. Um, and uh, kind of would go over to his house after a game, and we had some good times then. But there haven't been too many after that. And I yeah, remember I think... when, when C.M. Newton hired Bill Curry, I thought it was a masterstroke. I said, "Now we're going to take off," and of course, it didn't happen. I thought the I still think one of the most amazing set of scores. Uh, I think this was uh, Coach Ray's first year, I believe. They lost the first game, very hyped game, to Indiana, gave up 58 points, and then they beat Archie Manning at Ole Miss 10-9 to the next week. <laughs> I know. and <laughs> Makes and no sense. Was they number one? Yeah, wasn't Ole Miss number one then? I May have been. I can't really remember, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Crazy, uh, Tom. I appreciate the the visit. It's it's always fun to catch up. Unfortunately, we uh, uh, would have been able to to do uh, have a nice chat in the Keeneland paddock uh, at some point in April, and that didn't get to happen. So maybe October. We'll keep our fingers crossed. Put our fingers crossed for sure, because it's it's going to be a big 
fall meet if they can have it, culminating in the Breeders' Cup. So let's hope. Let's hope it works. Thank you much, Tom, uh, and stay okay. safe. Thank Pleasure, you, Tom. Thank you very much, Tom Hammond. Uh, just the local uh, broadcasting and, and national broadcasting uh, legend. Uh, glad to have uh, the time to visit. And we'll need to do that again. Get him and Larry Conley on together again, like we did a, few, a couple of years ago. We'll come back, wrap up this edition of Leach Report in just a moment. Guests on the Leach Report come to you via the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. And Kentucky Hemp Works is a family-run operation from Christian County. They grow the hemp in their fields there. We did a show from down there, saw their operation last fall. They process locally uh, the hemp into uh, CBD oil, hemp root salve, a couple of new products for fishermen made entirely from hemp seeds. You can read all about it at KentuckyHempWorks.com. More than just CBD, including a new YouTube channel. You can check out and see some videos on their operation. Type Hemp Homeschool into the search box, and you will find it. Uh, Evan Daniels uh, saw a moment ago tweeting that uh, Musa Cisse has postponed his decision. Kentucky's one of the five finalists, but I haven't found uh, any of the recruiting analysts who think Kentucky is going to land him, but nevertheless, they are one of the finalists. But uh, Daniels says that he has postponed his decision, as C say. And the NBA draft tentatively now set for October 15th, now that they uh, are in the process of finalizing their back-to-playing plan. That'll do it for this Friday edition of the Leach Report. Have a great weekend, everybody, and we'll see you on Monday. Thanks for listening to The Leach Report. Make sure you check out the podcast page at TomLeachKY.com whenever you miss a show. And be sure to follow The Leach Report Facebook page. If you have a question for Tom, email it to leachreport at gmail.com. 